0: You're listening to the Screeners Podcast Network. Well, welcome back to the Geek Card Check. My name is Chris. I'm Tyler. And I'm Kate. And every week, we're going to pull on the threads of pop culture and decide if they pass the Geek Card Check this week, guys. I am so excited about what we are talking about. This is right up our alley. You you may or may not know this. I'm sure that you do, but we used to be called the Next Trek Podcast. We've since shifted gears a little bit to be more generic, more inclusive of all things geek. But we used to focus almost entirely on Star Trek, specifically the new series, Star Trek Discovery we are Trekkies at heart. Oh, and, Adam, It's in our genes. Yes. And uh, this week, we've got a documentary we're going to talk about. Tyler, what are we doing, and how excited are you to dive in?
1: I am so excited that we are finally able to talk about the DS9 documentary, yes. What We Left Behind. Ugh. I cannot handle how excited i am over this (laughs) i've i've been humming the deep space 9 theme song (laughs) for two days i started rewatching deep space 9 because of it yep uh but uh but you know all of my excitement will be heard i think pretty soon kate lead us through this what are we talking about here and and just how are you as excited as we are i don't know we're we're we're, chris and i are like jittering here
2: you guys are about like two stars going to go supernova
0: (laughs) yeah yeah
2: I am excited. I think you guys have eclipsed me, but only because <laughs> I haven't watched Deep Space Nine in the last five minutes. And you guys have. Oh, so that's, true. God, that's yes. true. Um. So as you guys know, documentaries about Star Trek aren't new. And for those of you out there who go, <laughs> wait, what? You should see The Captains by um, Shatner. There's actually what two, is it two or three of them, Tyler? Uh, one for each of the captains i like so there There must be what would that be four
1: of them five of them so kirk picard janeway okay. cisco um, archer five and it produced by these same people
2: yes um for the love of spock was also a great one done by leonard nimoy's son um that came out after he died so if you want to also get all teary and by... nostalgic totally watch that
1: yeah also directed by Z- david zaponi who is uh doing what we left behind
2: Yes, yes. So today we're here to talk about what we left behind which looks back on Deep Space 9 which aired 1993 to 1999. I can't believe it's been over 20 years.
0: Stop ah. it. Stop it's saying crazy. stop saying these these things. That's again, yes. that's not possible. Ah.
1: So
2: um Trekpedia, Tyler, for the listeners that aren't familiar with how Deep Space Nine was treated on resume.
0: <laughs>
2: while it was on the air, would you give a little bit of the backstory so that way they have a proper context for what this documentary is doing?
0: Super well received from what I remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Everybody everybody loved Deep Space Nine. They went, Kirk who?
1: Picard what? And hmm. uh, they just stopped watching Next Generation and all everybody just started watching Deep Space Nine. Um, actually not, not true. Deep Space Nine, uh, when it aired in 1993, uh, I believe 93, correct yes. me, my, my pdn might be off. Um, I believe it aired in 1993 and, and, uh, it was one of the things that they point out in the documentary actually is something I hadn't really ever completely thought of it was a star trek show that was never on its own it mm-hmm. was always the other show so bookended yeah it was always bookended yeah. by
0: tng or by voyager yeah.
1: exactly yeah so it, it started in uh it, what would that be tng's ended in 94
2: so, Oh, so yeah. yeah
1: so somewhere in its sixth season um and uh, and it spun off very well very purposefully actually in next generation there's a good series of of um of both Maquis and Cardassian episodes that, that sort of spin off deep space nine. Um, and, uh, and it was hated. I mean, it was violently hated by, by Star Trek fans. And well, I this guess is, this is
0: a part of the documentary, right? Though we should probably talk about this in context of the documentary, right? Cause this is one of the yeah. big beginning moments of the doc of them talking oh, yeah. about that, that feedback that they got from both fans and critics alike.
1: Right. That's that's sort of where I was going with it is is it's it's it was deeply hated. And what we see in the documentary is, you know, the cast of Deep Space Nine It's really the first thing other than there's an opening song, which is delightful by Max. We'll Grudentic. get to that. We'll get OK, to yes. that. Uh, this the cast is reading negative reviews. I, it sounds like both current and like contemporary to the time um, reviews of Deep Space Nine. You know, uh, this is. Uh, super boring it's it just a uh, it's general hospital in space it's uh everything that gene roddenberry would hate about star trek in the future like it's they it was hated it seems like
2: mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely um to give you a few details about this documentary itself in background um it was funded via indiegogo and it funded in less than 30 hours and Went on to become the most successful Indiegogo funded documentary ever. Those yeah. nerds, Those I love nerds. it. Right? It's
1: Absolutely. but doesn't that illustrate the CBS All Access thing that we that we even talked about? You know, back when we were Next Trek talking about Discovery. Yeah. You know they they're saying you know should we have a platform that's essentially dedicated just to Star Trek? Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: yeah. They're going to make their money, right? That's that's once all the other shows come out and people can't hold back anymore. Yes. But oh, yeah. We're still getting there. Yes. Um, so it also uh, grew. It was just going to be an hour long, and with the additional funding, they were able to add uh, animation. They actually uh, did some HD work on, I think. around 20 minutes of the show to show you what it would have looked like in HD, And apparently uh, the DP for the original show, when he saw it being done on screen, had a moment of just like mouth open, gaping off. This is what my show was supposed to look like on TV. Kind of awesomeness. So maybe one day we will see a full remastering. We can only hope. Well, what they did was show that they
1: could be done, right? I mean, they had
2: done it, they had done it with next
1: generation. They did it with, um, uh, with the original series, uh, it's just going to be for,
2: expensive. That's the thing. It's
1: it's expensive and and time consuming because as far as I understand, and Chris, you, you watched the uh, the the redesigning the HD special yes. feature, didn't you? Um, so if you guys as at home, if you were watching this, uh, I really would recommend buying it either on on the Blu-ray, um, so you can get all the special features, or on iTunes. Chris and I, I believe, both bought it on iTunes. Yep. Uh, I was going to I was going to get it on Amazon, and I and I. There was no confirmation that you could get these special features on Amazon, so Mm. um, so I went through. uh, It was the same price on uh, on iTunes, and um, completely worth it. Uh, There was two and a half hours of of special features. It's the special features are longer than the the documentary. And there's an hour long on the making of the documentary. So it's a documentary on the documentary, and it's it's fantastic. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So before we dive into the documentary itself, I want to hear from you guys what your expectations were before you started to watch. And we'll start with Chris.
0: Oh, I was expecting a fairly standard uh, kind of historical... I don't know like recounting of the moments of deep space nine. So I was I was very much expecting for it to be kind of clinical a little bit more just here's this interview, here's that interview, this is how this happened. I bet you didn't know this. Um oh, here's a cool moment, blah blah blah. blah. Some stories we maybe hadn't heard from Comic-Cons and things like that. Right. Yeah, or or even those things, you know, in in addition to that. Just just general behind the scenes stuff that I think most people that if you were not familiar with DS9, you would not have any interest in this documentary. That's how mm-hmm. I thought going in. Um, I think this documentary is still that actually. If you don't have any interest in Deep Space Nine or Star Trek, you're probably not going to like this oh, don't, documentary. Don't time. Yeah, But it is much more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. Yes, It does things I was not expecting for it to do. Mm-hmm. It was Honest in a way that I was not, I thought it was going to be a lot more self congratulatory, right? Um, a lot more kind of like, oh, you guys were wrong. And at the beginning, there was, was that where you know they were talking about how all the critics hated it, and now they're starting to be loved again. And how this documentary got funded obviously means there are fans of Deep Space Nine, but they tell the story warts and all. I mean, there are some moments yeah. in it that you were just like, I was a little like, whoa, I can't believe. They're telling this story right now. This story feels a little like they probably would want to leave that off of the historical record.
2: Even some hard questions were asked that we're going to cover later in our episode where I was like, whoa, they went there. I didn't think they would.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even like awkward, like interpersonal actor relationships, like several of these. And it was just like, okay, all right. Interesting that, that they're willing to say this. So for me, it was a lot as a Star Trek Deep Space Nine fan. In fact... If if you if you play a video game with me online, my handle, my gamer tag, my whatever, is always defiant, um, no. and um, I, just because I love the defiant. I love Deep Space Nine. It is one of my favorite um, television shows ever. Of course, I mean Star Trek, um, but even more so than Voyager, Enterprise, or you know the original series. Next Generation and DS Nine have hold this like really interesting space in my heart. Um, mm-hmm. And this documentary gave me chills, made me physically cry, um, and I encouraged me to uh, not only rewatch Deep Space Nine, but begin watching intentionally Star Trek The Next Generation with my children um, and continue on with Deep Space Nine and Voyager and all that. And mm-hmm. just, just, I mean, th- th- that, that emotionality to it was something I wasn't expecting. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Tyler, what about you? I'd echo a lot of what Chris just said. Um, you know, I, I've watched all of those other documentaries that you just named. Um, yeah. I would add Chaos on the Bridge, um, which is done by the same people. It's a one hour directed by uh, William Shatner, but then, you know, David David's and some of the other guys who, who did um, this documentary. And so I, I kind of, yeah, I had my expectation. It's a documentary. It's, it's going to be um, pretty straightforward. But then... Um, yeah, like Chris said, some of the things that they added in here, um, a fictitious season eight, which we'll talk about more later, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That they, they began breaking the story for that. That blew my socks off. It, it made yeah. me just so excited to to, to get into it. Um, but also, yeah, like you said as well, the, the man, you could tell the passion for the show, not only from um, the people who created it, but from the fans as well, that this is something that that has spoken to many, many people. Um, And Star Trek has always has long been that, but I think deep space nine has been largely um, it's been swept under the rug. You Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's the one, it's the war one. It's the drama one. It's the whatever one. It's the one on the space station that nobody watches. And, and so I think so many people just sweep under the rug. I mean, it never got any movies. It never got any, you know, love beyond because it didn't, you know, it was never on by itself. So it never got watched you know, by as a show by itself. So anyway, I, all of that kind of got wrapped up into, um, into this movie. And, um, and I expected some of that, but I really didn't expect the just serious, um, heart that, that infused the whole thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, um, it was the fantastic reward for the fans that were so invested in the show. Who've been there all along for the new fans as well. Um, it, um, because it's being rediscovered today in a bingeable world, uh, Nana Visitor makes the point more than once in the documentary that, um, um, this show is made for binging and it's come of age for yet another generation right. and this is the perfect time for it. And so to have this documentary come now, I think is really important. And the fact that it's so well done, um, It's a love letter. It's not a desperate, we just threw something together or anything else. It's it's so well done that it gives the show finally the recognition it deserved all along, even if it was just a smaller group originally. And that really made me happy. Um, so yeah. and
1: one of the one of the mm-hmm. co-directors of of this documentary, what makes it kind of even more personal, I think, is that Iris Stephen Bear, who was the showrunner mm-hmm. of Deep Space Nine after Michael P- Michael Pillar left, um, is one of the co-directors of this documentary. So it's yeah. it's it's a little less clinical just because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really just such a he infuses it as well with so much care. I think it's not just. We're just gonna look at this and tell some stories. It's like no, he's he's in the middle of it as well as as documenting it.
0: Yeah, he's Ray. not interested in, in surface level. He literally <clears throat> asks tough questions, and you can tell he's a character. He's somebody who he's does a weird not dude. he does not care what you think. No, mm-hmm. um, he you know if if he's gonna be a, he's just going to ask the question, and he's gonna if you don't answer it the way he wants you to, he's gonna ask it again, and he's gonna yeah. be like, no, 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 I meant this way. Yep. Um, yeah, So it and, his and he's and a also, force.
2: No, And as someone who shaped that show, he's a great lens for this retelling about it to go through. So, I mean, starting with him and the season eight that uh, Tyler mentioned, they actually um, sketch out the first episode of a season eight had a season eight actually happened, which, I mean, that's what all fans want is more Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, Chris, can you explain (laughs) exactly what that looked like in the documentary, the the season eight?
0: Yeah, it was great. Like he invited... Basically he created the writers room of Star Trek Deep Space 9 like the the he main pulled the players yeah the main players that we all very we know very very well um, specifically you know if you're familiar with uh, Battlestar Galactica um, some of these other you know other Ronald D Moore uh, Ronald D Moore yeah he was the 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 show I don't know if he's the showrunner but I know he was one of the head he writers He was Yeah he, he was a, a showrunner show that's right yep. the showrunner of yeah, he's showrunning
1: Outlander currently Right Along so, with Iris Stephen Bear. Iris Stephen Bear.
0: Yeah. So, like, you know, what w- was great is, is they bring all these uh, writers into a room and spend an afternoon. Now, oh. what what I didn't know until watching the special features was yeah. that they literally spent an afternoon. Uh, they were running out of light, and they just stopped. Um, and that was one of his biggest regrets. Um, Is before
1: they had raised a bunch of money where they could have actually paid them, them and
0: said, we're staying longer. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, but he didn't know that at the time. And so, you know, you, we, it feels a little rushed at the end, like they just come to a conclusion. Um, but it's amazing to have this group of writers oh. in a room throwing ideas up, you know, outlining a brand new series. They act as if they were actually going to be able to shoot this thing, so it's... Yep whatever it is, 20, 30, 30 years later or 20, 20. years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what would the actors, you know, how old would they be? The characters would be 20 years older. So where would they be in their station at this moment? Oh my gosh. How would things so work? Amazing. And then they animate those moments on screen so we can visually get an idea of what they're doing. And it's it's pretty spectacular. It's, it's pretty um, uh, moving to be able to see. Yeah them treat those characters in that way and give us a glimpse into what could be
2: mm-hmm. what it's about you great. tyler what
1: was your reaction yeah my reaction was i mean if, if you can hear while, while while chris is talking i'm basically amening <laughs> the whole time uh uh it okay so one of my fantasies one of my dreams in my life is to be in a in a a TV writer's room. I I want to, to, to do that. That would be, it's one of those things is it's, it's probably never going to happen. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that I, because I thrive creatively. Um, I, I do a lot of things really well on my own. Um, but I, I thrive creatively in a team and, um, and being a creative writer myself, being able to kind of spitball, Ideas, but they're real, you know, it would just be kind of the, the greatest things, even though that's a, it's a fake season eight, you know, it showed, it just showed one of those kind of inside baseball um, sort of aspects of filmmaking that I really love is watching um, those, those writers, guys who I have admired, you know, in their shows for years and years. Um, you know, Ronald D. Moore is amazing. Um, Renee Echevarria, who's another one of the guys they, um, they head in there. I just started watching his show carnival row on Amazon prime um, which is a whole other thing to talk about. I'll probably talk about it next week on our check-in, but, um, but anyway, it, it, so th- that just really did it for me. And I, and I'm a big reader also of, of Star Trek novels, especially the novel, the novel version of season eight. So they, they started releasing books and they called it kind of Star Trek, uh, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine season eight. And, and it was one of those, like the moment they started doing this, I was like, oh yeah. This is mm. canon, though. Like, just like these guys saying it makes it canon, even though it's mm-hmm. it's not. So, anyway, just right. I just loved every second of it and just was like, okay, so when's this coming out? This is
2: season two <laughs> coming out in a, in a year, right? Sign, sign so. us up,
0: CBS. God, Come on now. Let's own. do this. I know. So, I yeah. love it. What about
2: yeah. you, Kate? Um, so we got to see not the entire writer's room, um, and they did introduce with, uh, photographic images, the, those who were not able to make it for yeah. this, but the first thing I became really aware of, it was yep. a room full of men, yep. not one female writer there. And granted there were episodes over the time that were written or contributed to by women, but it was kind of amazing to me that a show that did so much good with Uh, interesting female characters which we're going to discuss later in this um, episode but I was kind of surprised that there were so many interesting female characters in a room full of men and it kind of makes me that much more disappointed in all the shows out there that are all male writers rooms that they can't pull off what Deep Space Nine pulled off. Um, What's, What's really interesting too is that um,
1: and I and I wonder what the what the reason for this was that they didn't bring in somebody like Jerry Taylor. Uh, she was primarily on Voyager. She was like essentially a co-showrunner mm-hmm. of of Star Trek Voyager. Um, and she but she did write for Deep Space Nine, just not as much. Like a lot of them, you know, when a new show came on, they kind of all jumped ship and, and moved on to the next, or they you know, right. created a new writers' room. So it, it's kind of is weird though that especially in this day and age when they said things like. Um, we want to make sure we consider today's landscape of television, like mm-hmm. Discovery clearly has. Right. Uh, they didn't. They didn't say. Let's make sure we pull in Jerry Taylor or, or somebody like that who is still original to the to the you know to the writers room. But you know they, they didn't. Yeah. I, maybe and maybe she said no. Who knows? But still.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's something that if the show did come back for a season eight, I would definitely want to see.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, for sure.
2: Yep. Um, So I want to move on to talking about um, the cast and what we learned about them, what we heard from them in this. Um, I think Avery Brooks, we had, uh, what, either pre-recorded stuff. We didn't have a whole lot of him in this. Um, but I think he said no
1: a, to to, to he, doing interviews, he, which yeah he's he a wasn't.
0: Dude, he was not. He he said no to this because he felt like he did all he needed to do on the captain's, and so yeah. basically they took footage from that documentary yeah. and placed it in this one. Yeah. Um, but I guess he and um, Bear are good friends, and he mm-hmm. gave the blessing to do all this and use all the footage and all that. So, but yeah. I understand. I understand why he's he's completely he's so moved weird. on. Yes. yes. Yeah, he's, he's not still in
1: this world. I, I wrote no. like three times in my notes. By the way, Avery Brooks is a crazy person. <laughs> like, uh, brilliant. He's like one of those super he's brilliant actors.
2: He's straight up jazz. Oh, Their analogy jazz. is good. Golly.
1: He's just... If you watch the captains, just watch the section on Avery Brooks. It's... And they, they talk about this in the documentary. He doesn't speak in full sentences. He speaks in like... Yeah, like you said, like jazz. He speaks in like, eh, I I just do this, man. And then, you know, like right
2: dude i'm like okay (sighs) in fragments and and live like uh what is it performance poetry performance he really does it yeah
1: i'm not saying he's not a brilliant person but he probably is but he just is He is on a whole nother level
2: well a striking thing that came from his clips uh he was asked what is your fate what was your favorite mission on deep space nine and he replies raising jake um, yes. Chris, talk to us about that.
0: Oh, it, that was, that was absolutely fantastic. And then forgive me, but I don't know the actor who played Jake. Sirac. Lofton. Like, yeah. His response. I mean, it was so interesting to hear, you know, that be his response. Because when you think of that question, normally you think of, okay, that means action. That means, right. What is his favorite moment where he did quote unquote something but I think it's absolutely true. It made me rethink uh, Cisco as a character altogether, mm-hmm. because that is genuinely his main focus. I, I went back and watched Emissary, Same. and and yeah, and like within the first five minutes, he's you know helping Jake. Obviously, he is a cat, not a captain. He's a commander at that point, and he's got a job to do, but he is. Always trying to spin that plate of being a single parent. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and that's that was new in Star Trek, right? Like yeah. um a single parent. Worf, Picard, I who guess. meets kids. Yeah. Worf, I guess, was in there. He was But, but Worf
1: immediately shipped Alexander off the moment yes. he got him. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So he wasn't actually like he didn't stick around. This was a ongoing relationship. I, I think you. that was brilliant and wonderful and what a great response.
1: Yeah. I yeah. I oh. That was one of my favorite moments, and and like I said, it, it, I think it it um or like like you said I should say it made me completely relook at at that character the the one of the first things that Cisco does is save Jake's life, mm-hmm. um you know from a, a blowing up ship he he is when he's talking to Picard and, and one he is angry at at Picard but he um he basically says hey I have a son to raise this is not the place for me to raise him in, um right. and. And even just their interplay, it, it was not like a typical, um, not like a typical TV relationship in the '90s. I would say, like he mm-hmm. is at least it's certainly not a genre um, TV father and son. He they are they're a hands-on pair. You know, he is constantly giving giving him a hug, rubbing his head. Uh, you know,
0: but, and there's trauma there, right? I yes, mean, they're, they're, the, oh, the, yeah. the mom and the wife died, and so like yep. it's not just. there's a there's a huge hole there and then throughout the seasons there are other women who come into you know come into that right motherly role and so it's an interesting parental balancing act that happens that is quite unique and needs obviously to be commented on in the trek universe and has done very well here
2: right absolutely i I mean he's a role model in a way that we have sort of son like figures for some of the others, but no one that's out and out a father in the show and making fatherhood a priority. And green. he mentions
0: directly a black man yes. yeah. doing those things like that. That You know what I mean? Like a, a Avery black made man a conscious choice. Yeah. Stepping up and being a, a role model to other fathers mm-hmm. to say, here's how you treat your son. Agreed. Like that hit that, that, that and that gives me chills right now. That that is like one of those things where you don't realize maybe looking back 20 years what a difference that makes cuz i think they're very, they actually make a um a point that there weren't many um uh, african american led shows back right. in that time frame and deep space nine's almost never mentioned as one of them. Like right. they always exactly. go it's back just a and the star trek show it's just a Star Trek show. It just it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. But this is a this was a big deal. This was a a multicultural cast led by you know a black a very strong black commander yeah. with a strong female first officer. Yeah. I mean, wh- wh- uh, what you know what I mean? Like they were doing crazy cool things um, that wasn't common.
1: Absolutely. With yeah with that i loved i i also loved that avery brooks seemed to make that a a point to um to to have that same relationship off screen um Mm -hmm. where you know syrick lofton is being interviewed i was this in the actual or is this in the special features where it was in the actual it was where where syrick lofton that like they he took him to lakers games and all this other stuff and there was a point at which
2: son yeah
1: he introduced him to somebody else as his son one of his sons and And that's, you know, that relationship, it wasn't just acting. He, he said, I'm mentoring this, this boy as well. And it reminded me of Martin Sheen and Dulé Hill in the West Wing. They did the same thing. It was a father and son relationship where they just uh, on screen and off were a mentoring relationship. And I I love that and the role that it's the role model that it sets.
2: Yeah. I want to also address with Avery Brooks. Um, so my shorthand with the show is the show takes a turn and the writers start figuring out in Deep Space Nine how to write him about the season that um, um, the hair goes from the head to the chin. Right. And yes. they oh. actually bring in the former head of the network um, and ask him, Iris Stephen Bear, asked him straight up, what was the deal with that? Why would you not let us... Uh, or rather let avery brooks shave his head and grow his goatee you know what's what's your deal here one of those hard question moments
0: well and he literally says we don't we didn't want him to be street exactly oh my god this really old white
1: man saying that you're like what
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah. and and that that's kind of nuts right i mean to think i mean that's just, it, it's really crazy to think that that was the reason given. And I'm sure it was, I'm sure he was being, that was a political answer when he said, we didn't right. want them to be street. I guarantee you it That's, was much more blunt and oh, much yeah. more less politically correct. Oh, I agree. In the day and date when, when they made that decision. No, oh, you totally. need to have hair on your head. Like that is oh, nuts. Absolutely nuts. I feel like we're giving away so much. Hopefully you've watched this documentary. I'm sure you oh, have. Yeah, okay. Please. All right. Yeah
1: please watch this documentary. If you haven't stop listening to us right now, yeah. go listen to that and then turn us back on. This is
0: just us. This is just gushing about how much we like. Did, did, everybody loved this one, right? I mean, we, uh, yeah, this, us, yeah. are we going to be critical about this? Are we like, is there anything <laughs> Not at we all. just were like, this okay, good. I, I, I'm trying. Oh. The only thing that I would say, and I think you're going to get back to this Kate is, is some of the, the more cheesy musical numbers are really cheesy but enjoyable uh, I they made me care. smile and they were silly but that was the only <laughs> thing that I was kind of like this is a little self-indulgent ladies and gentlemen <laughs> a little self-indulgent yes. slash yes. a lot self-indulgent but,
2: yeah. um the final note I want to make about Avery Brooks Tyler already um mentioned it briefly um in the very first episode of Deep Space Nine we have that moment and they don't really cover it very much in the documentary but I think it's worth pulling out uh, because they do talk about in the documentary how different this show was. In the very first episode, we have um, we have um, Cisco meeting Picard, and all oh, of us are yeah. going into this with the whole "We love Picard. This is going to be really great. Our beloved captain is talking to the new show lead," and then it doesn't go well at, at all. all. If anything, there is murderous hatred. In Cisco's in his feelings towards Picard, because Picard, as Locutus of Borg, was responsible for Cisco's yeah. wife's death. And what so, a brilliant, brilliant oof. thing to do! Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps remembering that that <laughs> scene. It sets up this show is not going to be what everything came before was. We're going to make some changes. We're going to ask some hard questions, and it was there from the beginning. Yep. Yes
0: yep yep yep
2: um next i want to talk about the women of deep space nine because we don't have just one <laughs> we don't just have two we have multiple tyler talk to me about the women of deep space nine i i actually feel like I, that's one I, I want to toss to I, I was going to say maybe we
0: should I hear have from you first <laughs> sure, but, but I,
1: I kind of want to toss that to you what do you what about you like and feel free, feel free, set it in in the the Star Trek. Maybe not Discovery, because Discovery has often you know done it pretty well, right? But, um, but up until that point, w- you know, we have we have Uhura, Troy, Crusher, and that's about it. You know, like where where are we? What did this? How did this resonate
2: with you? <laughs> Okay, so yes, this was a, this is the reason why I wanted to pull this up. This is a big deal to me. If you guys listen to our our Nemesis episode, which was our fiftieth episode of the podcast, uh, you'll hear some of my frustration with how uh, Deanna Troy and Crusher were written there. But it was also throughout the show; they were underwritten. They were not written as intelligent beings with lives, with depth, with character. Here we get. Uh, Kira Reese who is number two, but in, in command, but for all intents and purposes, an equal with Sisko, because she's representing her people. She's representing the station. She has PTSD from her war experiences, which we'll discuss more of that later. But she has so much going on. She has a really interesting arc throughout the whole um, series. And she's not one that starts off interesting and then becomes relegated to the boring Harpy or any of these other mistakes that so many shows Mm. make. Um, She is dynamic and interesting. Nana Visitor talks about somewhere, I can't remember if it's special features or where, how she was given a cage and an open door and she was like she could walk out shyly. Or she could run and see if she got caught and see how far she could take it. And she did. And it's just it makes me so happy to see um, an interesting, complicated woman who is not just a sexualized ideal on screen for the male viewers. That was huge. Um, Then we get Terry uh, Farrell as Judzia Dax another fantastically interesting character who pushes the boundaries um, with with gender with between uh, species uh, with her marriage to Worf um, and she has been more than one gender in the past she um, the actress herself was pretty young at the time and uh, they cover her conversation with Avery Brooks in the documentary where she said look um, I can't meet you at your level. So could we find a way to make this work? And he brings his performance to a level that the two of them can meet. And then as she goes throughout the series, she grows as an actress and it really shows on the screen. The storylines she's given are more complex and more interesting. Um, and even though there's politics around her death and becoming uh, Ezri Dax, it's still... It's not just a woman disappearing. It's evolving into another interesting form with new possibilities. I just, I could go on and on about how happy it makes me. We have female Ferengi in this, like the mother of Quark, and all of the weird, strange, hilarious things uh, that happen there. Um, She's
1: a revolutionary too. She's she she and so is Kira. They're both revolutionaries for their for their planets. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And I am horrified. I'm forgetting the character's name. Uh, Cisco's uh, love interest. What is the character's name? Uh, See, the actress oh, my Swiss. gosh. I This is terrible.
0: I want to say it's not Jennifer because that's, no, uh, that's the wife, the, the uh, wife uh, that, that dies. Yeah. Cassidy, um, Yates. Cassidy. Cassidy Yates. Cassidy Yates. By Penny Thank yep. you.
2: Oh, I'm, that's just awful. But um, she is a ship's captain. She is going off doing her own she's thing. So she great. doesn't just fall in love with Cisco, come move to the station, and stare, you know moon over him for the rest of the show. She yep. has plenty of strength. She goes against him whenever she's got something that she needs to do. Yeah, <laughs> <Definitely>. she does. <laughs> um, she is not two dimensional in any way, shape, or form. We have female Cardassians in this show that have their moments, like quite a lot of moments as well yeah. yeah
0: the 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 leader of the founders is yep. i don't know if you i don't know, i guess you can classify her as female female as female changeling female presenting <laughs> will we'll go
1: with she she she, yeah.
0: she was a she was portrayed by a female and yeah, and was begins. brilliantly done so very yeah. powerful female figures in, in Deep space nine Absolutely, no, majel no
2: barrett other. returns and has her own run yes. with Odo which is so much
0: yes fun. <laughs> Yes.
2: So I could keep listing all of the actresses who are on here, but what the show does for these characters is it lets them be flawed, interesting, um, role models, whether it's by making mistakes or being strong or going after what they want. These are not characters who are there just to serve the male lead figures. They have their own stories, their own rights. Even Keiko, uh, O'Brien's wife, uh, everything that happens with her, um, we get she's the
1: worst written ever but that's, that's not everyone that was from perfect. the start I, I would say they inherited that from tng
2: right but the great thing about that is when you have only one female main character everything is on that female character so right. when right. you have a spectrum of possibility when you have multiple women in there then it's okay if you have one that's not written as well because it's not all on that one woman to be everything in all right. ways so um i should curtail did you guys have any um thoughts there Um, before we move on.
1: I I think that the most, one of the most emotionally impactful parts was, and you alluded to this already is Terry Farrell talking about, um, being essentially unceremoniously removed from the show, um, after contract negotiations broke down. Um, and it seemed as though now, uh, maybe I'm not remembering the details fully. Um, it seemed as though basically there was an ultimatum. Hey, um, like about like half the cast was said, Hey, you're on, um, you know, we'll give into your contract, all that other stuff. And, but you will accept our contract or, or we're gone because you're expendable. Um, which, by the way, this is not the first time that um, Star Trek, <coughs> Rick, Rick Berman, um, has um, done something like this. He did this with Gates McFadden at the end of season one. He did this, um, this I, maybe not just Rick, but Star Trek has done this um, in the past with, with multiple different characters. Um, it happened to Will Wheaton as well, uh, mm-hmm. where they offered to promote him to lieutenant in lieu of a, a pay raise. And he's like, you know. This is a, this is a fictional show, you know, Lieutenant doesn't mean anything. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, for that, you should listen to Will Wheaton's uh, episode on the Nerdish podcast where he talks about that. But um, anyway, Terry Farrell basically just says, you, you signaled to me that I was not a human, that I was a, mm-hmm. that I was a piece of your property that was, you know, I was a puppet on stage essentially for you and I needed to leave that environment. And she said it was, you know, it was incredibly um, demeaning and, 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 yeah they killed her off for it yeah like it was a
2: days. network I, underbelly moment of they might be showing strong women on screen but they're still being awful women behind yes. the scenes
0: right well yeah and, and to just maybe this is just the way it was edited and i'm sure it is and it was you know that i'm familiar with how you can manipulate obviously through editing but they show that um interview with the whoever was the, at the studio at the network at the time. Right. And mm-hmm. asking about, and he's describing it as if like, well, she just came in and she was so emotional about yeah. all that stuff. Oh, that. And it cool. was Being just like deemed me, what? What you know, you because doing?
1: she's a woman and that's how they are. That's, what that's are what that, doing? that was the end of his sentence is what it felt like, you know? And it's just, yeah.
0: yeah. I don't know if that was the editing, but the, but the way that it is told when it is, you know, it, it just seemed like Terry should have just sucked it up been a man you know what i mean yeah right not had any real like uh you know feelings or emotions or showed that to the 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 leaders there at the network at the time and they're just like well she's too emotional let's let's just you know cut the symbiote out of her and put it in somebody else and we're done
1: which story-wise did work very well it did serve for a seventh season to mix things up and it created new dynamics between her and Worf and um, and Dr. Bashir and, mm-hmm. and it really did do a lot of good things but that's just but the good
2: writing uh, you know the it's good writing being able job, to
1: hand- yeah. yeah being able to handle yeah. a situation it, yeah in no way of justifying like oh well see it's good that they did that but it's more of like well see that the writers can can use constraints to um to yeah. do some good stuff Because Ezra Dax, Ezra Dax is an interesting character. Um, she really is. And it would have been cool if, if, you know, not for the loss of Terry Farrell, it would have been cool to explore her for more seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, they really do in the books she, she becomes a captain in the book. She's really, really great. A lot of fun.
2: Totally. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the rest of the, the cast, um, especially the Ferengi, um, there were some revelations there that were new to me uh, about Armin, who played um, Quark, and um, he was inviting other actors over to his house. Can you tell me about that, uh, Tyler? I, I thought that was great.
1: Uh, it reminded me of of John Spencer, also in The West Wing, who who did the same thing. But it kind of it kind of seems as though Armin Sherman, um, particularly for the Ferengi, um, basically just said, "Hey." Uh, we are we are going to be taken seriously. Um, he had portrayed one of the first Ferengi we ever saw on *The Last Outpost* in *The Next Generation*, and he and Max Grodenchik, who they were up for, they were both up for Quark, but Max Grodenchik played um, his brother Rom. Um, he they, they would just they would go over to uh, to Armin Shimmerman's house on a Ferengi heavy episode, and uh, they would kind of mentor the new Ferengi who were there and say, you know, we're not we're not playing it like. You know, monkeys with whips which is the way that the first episode sort of portrayed them um yeah, i i awful. really i really liked that i thought that was a it was a good revelation yeah
2: and it, and it worked chris your thoughts
0: no yeah i totally completely agree that that was a cool little aside to know that and you know Look, we, we we get other revelations in this documentary of mm-hmm. divisions within the cast and, you know, writers and directors and all that kind of stuff. But it is interesting to see these cliques form and take control or at least ownership of right. their roles. Uh, and that was fascinating to be able to hear that. Yeah, no, you're you're Ferengi. Welcome to the clan. Come in and let's hang out, right. get to know one another and make this. You know, as as good as we possibly can. and I think they pulled it off. Mm -hmm. Look, the Ferengis were a joke. I think actually the Ferengis are a joke anywhere other than Deep Space Nine. Yeah. If you take them out of that core group, if you don't have Armin Shimmerman, I think at the helm, it's obvious now he is the Ferengi race. If he's not around, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong.
2: Yeah, which is why I want to say it was on some PR tour for the documentary that I might have seen this when he refers to the network as the true Ferengi. It was a great moment there.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Just needing that profit. Just needing that profit.
2: Um, One of the great things that, that it was exciting for me to find out with... Um, from the characters here or the actors about the characters is that the whole Odo and Kira thing was not originally from the writers. It came from the acting of Nana and Renee and the way they played off of one another, and then the writers responded to that. And so that's some pretty powerful acting in a show that they weren't allowed to ad lib or, you know, uh, uh, detour from the script that their acting could still drive story even if they weren't allowed to influence the lines
1: and that one sets it apart deep space nine apart from the next generation where we have and i love next generation i really really do um but next generation there are not story arcs Mm
0: -hmm. you know it's not serialized it's not
1: but even even character wise it's not there's no story arcs you know riker and riker and troy are together when it is convenient for them to be and they are both sleeping around when it is convenient for them to be, you know, like it. It is, it's all entirely for the episodic plot. It's yeah, like Chris said, it's not serialized. And even is that is what differentiates Deep Space Nine and why it resonates so well today, in our serialized, you know, golden age that we're in. It works. Um, even even like their their looks at one another, even though they couldn't, like you said, ad lib the words. Their looks and their subtleties and the subtext and their performance informed the writers room and the writers were just like yeah if you, if you want an episodic like star trek go watch voyager we're gonna do this
2: so mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i that that was an interesting revelation too was that i think what did they say in season three about the time they were able to get the goatee and the shaved head yeah mm-hmm. they just went cool. full serialized and was like you know what i'm sorry we we know That's we're in syndication but we're gonna do more and more and more of these and i think they show just a bunch of to be continued to be continued to be continued I love that. that was the way they they used to do it back in Del- you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. it's so funny that doesn't ha- there is never a to be continued at the end it's of any show it's always to be continued yeah there's always going to be and that's the way television is now is you know it's always the, it would be so strange to watch a show in today's age where every episode is completely truncated where mm-hmm. it doesn't right. matter what what order you watch them in what what madness is that yeah um so that's that was pretty revolutionary. they were re- revolutionary that they were doing that so early on where no other shows were really doing it well all.
2: while we're there let's just talk about what other things made this show stand out what was it what else was it doing that was so unusual significant interesting can you pick out any more points
0: yeah, I mean, I think the the one for me and, you know, I, just because of my background, but the um, the religion um, yeah. aspect of this show um, Hard-wired. was... Hardwired. I'm sorry? <laughs>
2: Hardwired into it.
0: Hardwired into it and also respectful, which yeah. was really difficult yes. because I feel like shows um, that are science fiction shows, I think The Expanse does a very good job of this as well. Showing um, folks with a... Uh, a faith um, or a religious, you know, background as not um, the enemy. Um, it feels or like idiots. a lot of times, I'm sorry, or an idiot. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or behind or not with the science or boy, you know, whatever, whatever. Right. It's just so easy to do that because I think science and religion often, so oftentimes are just, they people Positioned. want them to fight. Yeah. 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 And so I, I think the way this works is because it's a slow burn in that at the very beginning, you see the Bejorans as uh, kind of crazy, as, as, as having this belief system. And you think probably what's going to happen is, is there'll be a scientific rationale mm-hmm. by the end of it. Uh, but that never happens. Not really. And um, it's good, and, I
2: think, that it doesn't.
0: Yes. And that's my point, is, is that it's, it's it is... How do I say this? it goes really far into the science, but it never takes that position as being the whole answer. Yeah, and it goes right. really far with the religion, but never says that's the full answer. And it's kind of like, maybe both of these things are important. And that's yeah. kind yeah. of wonderful for me. I Just because of my background, I, I think I, they do it so very, very well here, respectfully. Um, and they explore it in a smart, interesting, and slow way that it, by the end of it, you feel like, Wow. Yes. Well done. Yeah, well done. and
2: they unite them in Cisco because they could have made him as the emissor, emissary a complete joke, like something to ridicule and make fun of, but instead he holds that tension between the two for the viewer. The complexity of it. We have no other captain that is talked about religiously. Um he they're all very, you know, rational or adventure or hard, but you don't have they don't do that to the captain. They might decide characters to risk to do that to the captain.
0: Well, but what's crazy about this is that sometimes that happens in these tropey sci-fi things. But by the end of it, it's all set right. Yes, and back to normal. The, the captain or the leader or whatever who was seen as a god or whatever, you know, informs the lesser people that know he's not actually a god and these right. things don't actually exist and that was just the sun and the blah 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 or he just walked they walk away and this is not that at all it is mm-hmm. much more ambiguous yeah than that and in fact the ending of deep space nine Reinforces is one of the more like what what yeah. what this is where we and we're ending the show here yeah um it it, it was really i think a great arc for our, our main leader character. And unlike anything else that we've ever seen in star Trek. And I can understand why it would make a lot of people angry because it's, it is, it doesn't take that hard line stand that I think a lot of people would on both sides. Yeah.
2: Agreed. Yeah. Tyler, what about you? What's something stand out for you
1: on the science and religion or just overall
2: overall? Um,
1: I, it made me think so much about, um, I guess, just the ways in which uh, we've already touched on some of these. In the way that which D Face Nine was so predictive of today, mm. um, in in many different ways. One of the episodes they highlight is past uh, past tense parts one and two, um, in which they uh, they go back in time. I think Cisco Bashir and Dax. I believe it's just those three. Um, go back in time. And I can't remember why it's probably an orb, um, but uh, they go back in time and um, to 2024. So we're coming up on it uh, during the bell riots in San Francisco, which is a homelessness um, crisis uh, that has gone on. You know, we don't know the, the cause of it entirely, um, but you know, I live and I, I don't know, you know, how it is, you know, in down in Florida or, or where you are in, 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 um, uh, in your neck of the woods, Kate, but um, but here on the West Coast, I mean, homelessness is rampant. Um, I live in in a very small town in the middle of the mountains, and we have um, a pretty significant homeless problem. Let alone Seattle or Portland or LA or you know any of these major major cities with um, huge homeless uh, homeless camps. Um, but it's 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 one of those times where Star Trek is incredibly, uh, you know. Incredibly, for, you know, foreshadowing the the future, um, we are seeing it now. You know, this isn't some mythical World War Three or whatever that 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 Star Trek puts out. Um, we are dealing with you know with a crisis, and and there's a line. I'm not going to quote it right, but there's a line that Bashir says. Um, you know, he's like, I, I can I can understand it if people, um, like, I can understand uh you know if people have have problems with one another based on religion or race or something like that i can i can at least see it it makes sense even though i don't agree with it but when you just um when you when your ignorance of people turns to to you despising people i just can't i can't get it like you just where it's just because you 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 are so apathetic to other people that you just decide to hate them or something like that, it, or where you allow them to suffer because of your apathy. I don't understand that. Um, and it's, and it's something that's like, wow, okay. Uh, super resonant to today where we are having a, a gigantic boom. Um, mm. So that was something that, that was, that stuck out to me, but, but as let alone, you know, um, we deal with the dominion war um, with, with terrorism, with atrocities of war, which in the nineties, you know, we hadn't, seen a war as recently. Yeah, there's the Persian Gulf yes. War, but things like that. And then, you know, a couple of years later, let alone domestic terrorism, you know, yeah. a couple the of marquee, years later. The Maquis yeah. is
0: a big a big part of that. Like, exactly. What is terrorism? Right. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, like... And Hero, one of
1: our
2: main characters is a terrorist, you know? Yep. And, and
0: it's, yep. it's...
1: And you have
2: Nog losing his leg, which is yep. huge. Uh, and oh, an entire and the... episode dedicated to him trying to deal with it. Because oh. you would think in a Star Trek... World, the healthcare is going to be so advanced that there wouldn't be things like losing a leg that people would have to deal with and they they go there they make it work yeah. they deal with that uh, emotionally um and in such a um an insightful way
1: it's and that is one of the most just that episode itself is one of the most impactful episodes um, and haunting. I remember, you know, I, I didn't because of syndication. I didn't always catch Deep Space Nine while it was on. But that episode is one that I remember catching, um, and and it is. It, I think it's the the Siege of Ar Five Five Eight is what it's called, um, and it's this brutal brutal attack on an outpost by the by the Jem'Hadar and it's wave after wave are coming and there's no reinforcements and there's no communication and it, it kind of it even reads like an episode of mash a little bit mm-hmm. um in that mm-hmm. it's just this you know we're stuck on this outpost in this godforsaken place um and and Deep Space Nine was not afraid to go there you know yes yeah. we had best of both worlds and we had um oh no I'm forgetting the the one where uh, uh Picard is tortured by the Cardassians um there are Chains of four, chain of command anyway yeah where there are four somehow some number of lights four lights, are, yeah. Four lights. Yeah. yeah uh yeah there are, there four, are four, four
2: lights, lights. oh it's so good uh, um, but that know, was like through the lens of one person rather right. than a whole group of people experiencing this correct right and, and
1: deep space nine was never afraid to really go To those to the dark place that it needed to go because guess what? Our world is filled with, you know, darkness. But they also had fun episodes like baseball. They play baseball in it
2: and it's great. (laughs) Um to to make a point about or to follow up on dark episodes, one of my favorite episodes of the entire series was from season six and it was called Far Beyond the Stars.
1: Oh, that's so
0: important. It was directed
2: by Avery Brooks. And it's that rare example of a meta kind of story within that universe. Uh, we get all of the actors but uh, from the regular cast, but none of them are wearing, those who are uh, playing aliens are actually what they humanly look like um, underneath in this. And it's one where the stress, um, and I want to say that somebody had died, that uh, it, um, Cisco is sort of at a burnout point where he's thinking about leaving Starfleet. And then he starts having these weird visions, et cetera. And then he winds up sort of in like falling into the vision and it goes back into like 1950s uh, New York city as a science fiction writer. And it's just this incredible story that deals with race in a very sensitive, um, impactful way. It deals with, with class and there's so many things that happen in the episode and, um, they talk about it in the documentary and how deep Avery Brooks went into playing of this role to the point that in one scene he couldn't really come out of what had emotionally had just happened for a while because he was, was like
1: in a ball on the floor sobbing. Is kind yeah, of what they absolutely.
2: It it's just one of those that um, it's it's really powerful and this is I think the only show to that point in time that could have talked about these things in that way. And they did it and they did it so well. It was incredible.
1: That's one of I think the most important episodes of, of science fiction. Um, it, yeah. It's one that it almost, if you didn't know any better, it doesn't need to be a deep space nine episode, you know, almost because it is, it is so it transcends the, yeah, um, the genre the, or the, the genre the setting, but yeah, yeah. The, the franchise um, it's, it is, Beautiful. It's so. It's a strange episode. Um, I remember not. I did not get it when I first watched it. And I was like, "Oh, this is stupid." Will you guys please get into the Dominion War already? Like, it, it, I didn't. I didn't get what they were trying to do, and it just. It is so. It is so impactful and so deep um, that you know, speaking to to uh, race relations in the 1950s as a metaphor for race relations today, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's 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 a powerful powerful episode and deep face nine had a lot of incredibly powerful episodes
2: yeah absolutely um is there anything else that you guys wanted to cover under the umbrella of things that really stood out or are be ready to move on to the next we
1: haven't mentioned bashir or i should say alexander Siddig, very much at all mm-hmm. just I, what i i liked about him is he just made the point of um it was it was funny how he did it it kind of sounds sounds strange but he, he's like Look, I'm I'm kind of a good-looking guy, and I don't ever get the girl, and <laughs> yes. and he kind of resented it at first, um, but then fell into it and kind of got with it what they were doing with it, and and you know he was going after Jedzia from the from minute one, he asks her out uh, in emissary, um, and kind of pines after her for quite a while, and then you know obviously she marries Worf, and um, and then he gets together with uh, with Ezri, but it is, I, they also. We, they don't get into the bromance either between him and O'Brien, which mm-hmm. I just love. I, I think it's great.
2: It yeah, I was a little disappointed we had nothing covering the trials of Miles O'Brien because those were some really hilarious episodes.
1: They briefly sort of mention a little bit in some of the extra, the other extra features, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, just that O'Brien can't catch a break. That guy, you know, <laughs> he. Uh, especially early on when he's still fixing up the station, Mm -hmm. you know, after the Cardassians have left, Uh, it's just everything's breaking. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah. Um, So next I want to talk about some of the fun elements of the documentary. Uh, one of my favorites was the running gag with Garrick. You get him early on, and then you'll get him <laughs> commenting throughout. I mean, he was already one of my favorite characters of the show, period. But Andrew Robinson is just hilarious, and they he, him he, gives,
0: he gives the greatest disclaimer on the front of this documentary that should be a part of every documentary ever. Yes. Basically, just saying, listen, this is going to be truth. Through a mirrored darkness. Yes. You know uh, what I mean? Like, I, 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 so I love his delivery of this. I don't know why he's not in more things where he can yeah. chew scenery, but he needs to be in other stuff because...
1: I just saw him in Child's Play 3, of all things. Oh, uh, my gosh. Which he's in. He's also in um, the first Dirty Harry movie. He's the bad guy. Really? It's just, yeah. Huh. Um, I... But but I I would that all that to say every time I see him I'm like oh my gosh you are amazing and then he's not in anything
0: else you know yeah he this he, yeah he he does a great great job and Garrick is I think I think everybody's favorite character from Deep Space he, Nine he he might it's about be mine yeah I don't know that anybody would say that's not their favorite character uh, he's he is a delight um, every time he's on the screen you you want to spend more time with him yeah always you just do. Oh, yeah. and you want to know, know more about him,
2: and the writers yeah. never make the mistake of telling you too much about him.
0: Oh, perfect! so great. Yes. You know, it's, it's, he's perfect. Absolutely. What a great character.
2: Yeah. And, and the things like he said,
1: is this is this also what, did he say this at the beginning? Because I know he's sort of quoting himself um, when he says, uh, you know, all these stories, are they, um, are they true or are they lies? Mm-hmm. They're all true, especially the lies. Yes, especially the lies. (laughs) You know, I just and that's is quoting him from an episode, but I just it it, that's so like you just said, Chris. That so puts this documentary where we do get some conflicting things, and there are some moments in the documentary where they specifically like one person, like Mark alimo is telling one side of the story that Avery Brooke punches him in the face, (laughs) yes, by accident on scene. uh, They they. He went too far in a scene and and wailed on him um, instead of pulling his punch and uh, and Avery Brooks has denied it and so it's just like okay well hey we kind of just have to let it yeah it is what it is it happens so we'll see how it you know it
0: leads you it up you, to you you brought up gold to cut so this is another thing I wanted to mention this is yeah. a little bit of a tangent but like when he mentioned like his love for Nana Visitor like <laughs> in reality <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> I oh. I was like, whoa, That's just woof. whoa, whoa! I'm and so you can happy tell that we're he's like, she's a, she was a beautiful woman, and I always thought that I'd get with her, and I was just like, what? <laughs> and then it cuts to Nana, and you can say, like she's like, I was never interested. felt nope. really weird around him. Oh, yeah. and
1: you get, you see her visibly angry yes. when um when Iris Stephen Bear had brought up, I guess like we had we had oh uh, no she she brings up she's like you said um there was one time you you said you were floating an idea that she and and Golducat would have an affair and yes. it turned out that that's the episode where you find out her mother had had an affair with Golduhak Golducott. but you hear you see like her eyes get red her <laughs> like jaw is set and you see Kira in there and she's like i will still murder (laughs) if you tell me that was the thing that that was the case and then he's like no
0: we never were gonna do that we were never gonna do that oh yeah he backs off real fast (laughs) it was pretty funny Uh Oh,
1: and there's one very just this goes with the Marco Limo thing okay so I, I made a list of people who have not aged um, on that show Alexander Siddig is one Other than he has Like a little bit of gray In his in his beard Terry Farrell Has not aged a day yeah. um, Michael incredible. Dorn Has not aged a day Jeffrey Combs nor- Like this is 25 years later And these guys look The same mm-hmm. um, And And then they show Marco Limo And yeah, un- I,
0: he He looks completely Unrecognizable
1: <laughs> Unrecognizable And some of that is The Cardassian You just yeah, never see his face But like it, It's like Oh Oh, okay. It has no. been twenty-five years, sir.
0: No, but you look at Demar, and you know who that yes. is. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, it's Demar. Like, of course, right. I know that. But if you were to, we were watching the documentary. He was on there, and I was like, who? Who did yeah. he play? Why is he even in this documentary? What is he like? He a was Gold Ducat yeah. too, and yeah, just all right. <laughs> wow. I would never guess that man was Gold Ducat. Never. Never. Um, he not, was supposed to have been a good, actor though, because I mean, yeah. anyway. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Well, and they show that they like he, oh. he's all, he's all mad about like you didn't. I never got any recognition from the writers, and and I. <laughs> Stephen Bear is like, no, you don't understand. This is what those good interchanges you guys were talking about, where he gets into it instead of just asking questions. Yes. I. Stephen Bear says, you don't understand. That's how writers show they love you. Is they yeah. keep putting you in they the scenes. They keep
0: putting you in it. Like. Yep. Yeah. He you was didn't fan- need a pat on the back. Look, that moment, Golducott sat down at Cisco's desk and oh. picked up his baseball. Mm. You knew stuff was going
2: down. <laughs> oh, he'll yep. be back.
0: He'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I'm not going to spoil them for you, but you guys definitely should watch the credits because there is more in the credits yes. that they reveal. Um, any other fun things that you guys had that you thought were, well, I know Tyler has a thing for the musical numbers, so I should let you get that out there, Tyler.
1: No, I just, I just really liked them. I wouldn't say I was over the moon about them, but I I just thought that they were, it was very in keeping with the the fun tone. Like, despite the fact that Deep Space Nine was so dark, they also knew how to lighten things up. They had a... Frank Sinatra-like hologram, you know, Vic Fontaine played by James yep. Darren for so long that, that actually it wasn't as long as I as, as I remember it being. When, it's they, actually
0: like, when they talk about this in this documentary, I was like... I don't remember him being such a huge part of the show. I think like, he's only in like a
1: season and a half or something like that. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. And it's big but episodes like so you know, Nog's big leg episode,
0: exactly. but still, you know. And the final yeah, scene are, is I there would too. never – I'd never consider him to be a part – I mean, of course he's a part of the cast, but he's not – I mean, even for me, like he's not even a Wayune or a right. Damar right. or a – you know, and those guys – weren't in the show very much it just didn't feel like anyway i don't know maybe mm-hmm. i just never no, had I a, agree. an emotional connection with him
1: no i agree okay cool. um but but i it's i liked this the opening sequence and, and the closing t- sequence because i think the opening is just max grodenchik um who plays rom mm-hmm. i think do they bring in and now i'm forgetting do they bring in armin shimmerman and jeffrey combs they come in at the, in the end just at right,
0: the end yeah right at the end the, uh,
1: i i liked it i i think it's they talk in one of the special features of how they were originally going to do it. And it was just going to open with a history of Deep Space Nine and, and then lead into the, the bad reviews reading, um, which I think would have worked really well. Of course, they would have made it work. But this it, one it, sort of keeps in the tone. It, it would have been better. It, it would have. <laughs> I actually agree. I think it would have been better. I think it, it's it's their their singing would have been a good closing. It would have been a good yes. I, I totally agree.
0: It's just a really weird way to open a documentary because it yeah. it really has nothing to do with anything. And if you're not already a fan, you're gonna get turned off by that because it's kind of like, what? Why <laughs> Who is are you? But yeah. my. Station in the sky. I left my
2: quirk in D Space Nine. Come on.
1: It was the great line. I can <laughs> but, now mark
2: off of my bingo square. Chris has sung in this episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always sing. I don't know why, but I just, you know, I love it yeah i was told i was told that somebody enjoyed my singing and so now i'm going to sing in every single one so i'm I'm excited about doing that
2: um so bonus content i didn't get to watch the special features i did not have the opportunity so guys which were your favorite which should be a viewer's first stop Mm. tell me
0: oh i mean there's an hour conversation a roundtable conversation about um, all kinds of stuff. But I think the most interesting part of that and what they even it's call the, the video is the HD restoration stuff, like mm. them figuring that out, how difficult that was. And you don't think about it. I can't remember if this is in the, in the documentary or not because these all blend together. But, you know, when you set out to take the original film negatives, rescan them, because what they did for the show was they shot on film, then they would scan it, edit it on four eighty P, which is standard definition, right. and then shoot it out as a basically like a betamax slash VHS. Yeah. That is the edited version That's what of what we've it. seen. Mm. That's all that we've ever seen is that. If you want to turn that edit into high definition, you don't simply take that and then up res it to H D you have to go back to the film, rescan the film, and then and re-edit.
1: Because it's not the film. In the, it's not like they have the edited episodes in film. They no. have it. They they talk about this in there. Um, this is why i I actually they, it answered my question of why the heck haven't they done this? Because it seems like a duh th- kind of a thing. It is still in like they're labeled in like the shooting order. Yeah. So you have like. 50 takes, like they have all the takes and stuff. Of you have to get the right take, scene. you have to get the
0: right cut, the yeah. right second that they did. So, you're literally duplicating that, and you yep. could get it wrong. Like, you, you could, could grab the incorrect take, and then you would have the wrong sound, A slightly different, you'd have yeah. the wrong whatever. Like, and you have to think about it too, too. All the sound is separate, so they have to yep. add It is just an unbelievable amount of work. And they yep. talk about how Paramount, no, CBS was more than willing for them to do this for the documentary, which was kind of crazy because they thought for sure they would get all kinds of issues and trouble, but apparently they don't care about DS9 at all. And they were like, no, sure, go ahead. If you've got the money for it and you can pay our guys to pull pull film let pay you know we'll let you, Maybe get you have need whatever to do an you want.
2: indiegogo for each of the seasons because i'm sure the fans would happily pay for it i it would, would, would predict so, that's coming
1: sometime soon but that's crazy i mean they did so it so expensive they, they did it yeah. for the original series and they did it for for next generation you know it, it and
0: is it looks amazing if you want oh. w- which is so funny like i'm we were wa- w- just so i can say with my family we now have star trek monday so we watch yes. star trek an episode of Star Trek every single Monday night. We're watching Star Trek: The Next Generation on Netflix. That is the HD remaster. Yep. Don't watch it on Hulu. The Hulu is not. Nope. Um, I found that out, and I was like, oh, "Wait a minute! I thought that looked better." And I we went back, but I started watching Deep Space Nine, which is older than yep. The Next Generation, and it looks real bad. Like, oh, it's it looks oh, real bad so because it's not in HD. But the Next Generation stuff looks gorgeous, absolutely mm. gorgeous. So, anyway. the only
1: thing they didn't do for the next generation that I wish they had done and they they did this for the for the sequences that they put in the documentary is convert it to widescreen.
0: Um, no, 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 no. don't do know. that. Don't do that. Cuz Next Generation was shot it was shot with in, in 3. It was, right? with the intention of 43. Right. So if you cut it, the, you're, you're you're losing, you're losing information. Stuff, yeah. But remember what they explained was the way they that they shot, shot it for widescreen. Well, they they shot in a higher um, there's more frame information. So they, they basically cut in for the square for, right. for television, right? And right. so they actually have more room to play with a wide screen. And so you could actually – what the DP was saying was this is the way that I actually um, intended – the the show to be seen mm. but we weren't able to shoot it that way we weren't able to send it out that way so of course nobody always... was shooting
1: it or showing anything in widescreen
0: right so you're actually you're not seeing you're shooting seeing a little bit of the cutoff in the top and the bottom but you are you're getting a much more cinematic look because deep space nine was shot intentionally that yeah. way Which and is he the even why said they okay he
1: even said yeah you lose something but none of that none of the stuff that you lose is important you gain so much more by doing all that. all right it's, so oh. for
2: the people who are not super film nerds what would you recommend yes. they start uh, with
0: start with where of, for what? of the
2: it, bonus features
0: Oh, I think the roundtable just go watch the it could be because it's it's an hour long and the last 20 minutes is them discussing this okay but it's much more interesting than what I was just saying I'm, I'm trying to describe it but they, they show are, you yeah. yeah okay they're very it's it's very entertaining yeah and I mean it it feels like full it's a fully produced part of the documentary I mean it nice. genuinely is it is a piece of the of the whole experience so yeah just watch definitely watch it no doubt it's awesome great.
2: Okay. Um, So then, would you say that your appreciation of Deep Space Nine changed from watching this documentary and features?
0: Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I already love Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. But, like I've already said, it gave me chills, and it reignited my love for Trek, so much so that I needed to share it almost instantly with my children. Yeah. And we watched like three or four episodes of Trek. So like, yes, if 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 you have any affinity to Deep Space Nine, this documentary is a must-buy. I don't think you should rent it. I don't think you should whatever. I think you should purchase this thing and keep it and watch it again. Watch the special features. I really think it's worth your money and your time.
2: Mm, Tyler?
1: I would, I would agree completely. Um, I, I did the same thing. I, I messaged you guys last night as soon as I finished it and started watching Emissary immediately. Yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't not, you know. Um, I've been slowly getting through a Next Generation rewatch just in the midst of, of all of the, you know, my craziness of life. And um, I was like, I, and I'm a completist. Like, I'm that guy who's like... Yeah, but you're not supposed to start watching these Space Nine until you finish watching <laughs> *Next Generation*, right? Like, despite the fact that I've seen them both, you know, a, a dozen times, um, I was like, you know what? It's fine. This this told me I could, and I loved it. I <laughs> and I just started watching it, and I was uh, uh, the, I had a moment of disappointment that it was not in the HD that I had just seen. Uh, and I did the same thing actually, Chris. I went and looked. Uh, I started on Netflix and I was like, well, I wonder if CBS All Access has done any kind of a fake, you know, a fake up up res or anything like that. No, it's just still as bad. Um, So I – yeah. But man, it is – Deep Space Nine is exactly what Nana Visitor had said. It is the show for this binging era. Um, It it is so much more conducive to that. Season one is still real rough. It just – it's a Star Trek show. Season one is usually very rough um, except for Discovery. But uh, it it is so, so impactful and rewards attentive watching. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I would say that I definitely appreciated the show more because when I watched the show for the first, well, the whole way through as opposed to random episodes, it was later. It was after it was off the air. So I did not really appreciate just how much resistance the show was getting at the time it was originally on uh, I didn't realize that there was so much hatred for it because I'd always heard of it as the one that was deeper darker had more mature storytelling took risks that the other shows wouldn't very character oriented all things that were really important to me so I didn't quite understand that it's outlier status is actually what allowed it to take those creative risks because you Mm. know there were fewer people watching so it gave them freedom to make it this amazing uh show that we can now watch today so that's one of the big takeaways i had from this documentary was to understand not just that it's a good show i already knew that but understand how the circumstances it was in helped create this amazing show that we have um, as a part of how it was being experienced at the time. so I thought that was really cool. Yep.
1: I, I love that. Can I build on that really fast? sure i I think um what you just said made me think of of um, enterprise, made me think of Star Trek discovery. um you know, especially especially discovery, and, you know we we were maybe had our thumb a bit more in the pulse, you know, being a Star Trek discovery podcast for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, that we. The number of people – I still see it because I, you know, I run our our Twitter page, so I'm, I'm on it a lot and seeing people who still are uh, – discovery is the worst thing that anyone has ever put on television yeah. ever in the history of all things and should all – everybody should be shot because they just don't know what they're <laughs> doing and it's the worst thing ever and no yeah. true Star Trek fan could ever watch it. And I'm like, you know, they said that about Next Generation. And they said that about Deep Space Nine, and they said that about Voyager. Pretty much everything um, after
2: the original series has gotten that every- response at some point.
1: Yeah, and, and it's just like, if you take it without that high and mighty toxic fan attitude that you have, and really look at it for what it is, the product that they're putting out, Deep Space Nine is just a fantastic Fantastic show, Mm -hmm. Um, and so is Star Trek Discovery. You know, as we've go back and listen to our episodes, and we we are, I think, we critique it quite a bit. Um, I don't think we are blindly in love with the show, Mm -hmm. but it's still, you know, we have to. to, (laughs) Kate
0: disagrees. (laughs) You're blindly in love with Discovery.
1: We critiqued the heck out of Discovery. There were times where we we got into shouting matches over over our disagreement on Discovery. We'll talk about that another day. (laughs) <laughs> but but all that to say, like, you know, this this is one of those things that shows despite that the, you know, despite the vitriol that can be spewed at a show at the very beginning of it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, eventually maybe maybe it's just time, you know, we'll let it stand on its own two feet and be appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yep.
2: Really quick yes or no, Chris, should you watch the documentary if you have not watched Deep Space 9 yet? No. Tyler?
1: Not even no in fact stop listening to this right now go watch all of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and then go re-listen to this
0: yeah this this will this, this will not this will not be interesting to anyone it won't anyone. make any sense yeah I mean it, it talks about yeah there, it, literally there's there's nothing here for you you're jumping in midstream you're just going to be carried away with a, the with a current it, it will not resonate in, in, on any level
2: okay um, final thoughts or takeaways for our listeners Chris
0: yeah I mean look we just spent this is probably going to be our longest podcast um for this brand new you know the geek card check anyway we try and keep our things under an hour um our episodes under an hour I I I I love talking about this documentary I want to gush more about it I don't really want this conversation to end I feel like I want to talk more not even just about the documentary but the show that it yeah it created and and the culture that um uh It impacted. And so for me, I think if you have any affinity, I've already said this, towards Deep Space Nine, Star Trek as a whole, this is well worth your time. And um, I'd love to have a conversation about it with anyone, like uh, genuinely on Twitter. Follow me at Chris Farrell and let's let's chat more about it because I think it's a beautifully made, well done, honest look at something that was really well done but also flawed um, and quite incredible and um, I, I, I'm, I'm I, I am I'm glad that this thing exists and I hope we get more of it as they were showing that season 8 possibility, I kept oh. thinking to myself, man I really would love for them to just announce a CBL a CBS all access you know special, two or three hour mini, mini series. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That would be, it would be amazing and they could do it. They really, they really could do it.
1: Yeah. Um, Tyler. Yeah. uh, I, I I think, honestly, I think I, I just completely agree with Chris. It was. um, Oh, shucks. Thanks. (laughs) I, I, I loved it. Um, In fact, you know, go all the, all the documentaries that Kate mentioned earlier um, for the love of Spock, um, the captain's, um chaos on the bridge any of those those documentaries they're all made by i think it's shout Factory is the production company mm-hmm. um just they're they're all told with love of the of the show and of the franchise and they're just they're really well done overall um they get better with time or with uh with each production as well um this Captain's is definitely is, the best this is the best, best of far. those yeah. Yeah.
2: yes yeah, hands yeah, down
1: so yeah so yeah go i say go watch it no question
2: um I would add to the go watch it that if you watched it when it was originally on and weren't much of a fan or it just never really connected for you. I think this documentary is something that makes a great argument for what you might have missed when it was still in the time period of, you know, on the air at the same time as other shows competing with your interests, like watch this and this. I think will be a reason for you to go. You know what? I want to go back and I want to rewatch this, and I think I'm going to care more this time. I think I'm going to love you it. You get completely.
0: context. You gain yes. context uh, by watching this. Yeah, totally. Absolutely.
2: Totally right. Alrighty guys, we made it to the other side. um Tyler, take us out.
0: Other side of the wormhole.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Get it? yeah Get it because
2: it's deep space nine. The- All right. Are you going to ascend or whatever, <laughs> Cisco? Anyway. <laughs>
1: All right, everybody. Well, as always, uh, if you would follow us on Twitter at, I was going to say at the Next Trek podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not there anymore.
1: No, uh, as always, follow us on Twitter at Geek Card Check. Uh, follow us on Facebook at the, ne- at the, the next track podcast <laughs> at the geek card <laughs> check podcast, uh, as well. Um, and on Instagram at geek card check. Um, also whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts, subscribe to us if you would. Um, and also uh, if you feel, if you feel like we are doing a good job, if you feel like you, uh, whether you agree with us or not, but if you feel like we're doing a good job, um, rate us give us a five star rating it helps us to be discovered um and also let us know um like like we've said earlier if we want to if you uh um if we got something wrong if you want to to add something in the conversation that you loved about what we left behind that we didn't get a chance to talk about um or just some nuance just jump in we'd love mm-hmm. to hear from you we really enjoy um, the conversations we get to have on twitter so with that as always live long and prosper